So, things have gotten complicated. Your business is a mess of competing priorities, mismatched marketing messages, dusty old brand positioning, stale offers, and the clutter from all the times you've tried to solve problems by doing more. It's easy to think that all of this unproductive complexity is a sign that you screwed up, that you're not very good at this whole building a business thing. But that ignores the fact that all of us have been programmed from birth to equate more work with good work, checking more things off the list with checking the right things off the list. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes to explore how small business owners are building stronger businesses. Today, I've got part two of my conversation with Bridget Lyons and Sophie Dale about simplifying their businesses. But first, I want to explore a key aspect of how we let things get so complicated in the first place. Last month, I read a book that I just can't stop quoting or recommending, and I'm not going to start today. The book is Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. Yes, I am a millennial, an elder millennial to be specific, and I deeply and profoundly relate to everything in this book. But as the author Anne Helen Peterson points out, the systemic causes of our burnout culture are felt by every generation, just with slightly different results. Peterson writes, Barring a significant psychology-altering intervention, once someone equates good work with overwork, that conception will stay with them and anyone under their power for the rest of their lives. And she goes on to say, we've conditioned ourselves to ignore every signal from the body saying, this is too much. And we call that conditioning grit or hustle. Now, if that's feeling a little too real to you right now, you are certainly not alone. I'm quite certain that there are many listeners out there releasing a collective oof. Here's the thing. We can say we started our own businesses to gain more flexibility in our lives, more control over our schedules, more time to spend with family or on our art or in our communities. But we haven't had the psychology-altering intervention that would allow us to actually make that happen. We've been taught that unless we pay our dues through overworking and overproducing and overdelivering, we can't be successful. And the way that plays out in our businesses? Complexity. More offers, more clients, more emails, more marketing tactics, more social media posts, more lead magnets, more Zoom calls, more deliverables. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Doing more and inevitably making things more complex is the main tool we've been trained to use. This leads to all sorts of predictable challenges, though. Challenges like the ones I talked about last week with Bridget Lyons and Sophie Dale. Things like scope creep, lack of traction, unsustainable working hours, and less revenue. It can also lead to leaky boundaries, resentment, anxiety, relationship troubles, and yes, burnout. If you identified with their stories and the consequences of Bridget and Sophie's more complex businesses, keep listening. This week, we're talking about what they did to simplify and the incredible results they've created. And if you're wondering whether this could be the problem you're experiencing, that you might have made things harder and more complex than they needed to be, but you're not quite sure yet, I'd be willing to go out on a limb and say, yeah, that's probably true. Today's conversation should give you hope. 
All right, let's dive in to how Bridget and Sophie actually restructured things, how doing business is different today, and what the results have been. Now, let's find out what works for Bridget Lyons and Sophie Dale. Sophie, why don't we start with you in in thinking through the choice to go all in on one business, was it just letting go of the other two? Or were you also making changes in that third business so that you were sure it was going to meet your needs and meet your goals? Uh, Yes, the second of those. Um, So I went through a kind of um, designing, visioning process for what I wanted my life to be like and what I wanted our life as a family to be like and really what my values were, what my purpose was in the world, what, what matters most to me and which of the businesses lined up best with that. Um, but the thing that was probably the deal breaker, the one, the one that was the deciding factor was what do I want my day-to-day life to be like? And so a really big stumbling block for me for the book coaching business, and really I had two book coaching businesses, um, was that for the most part, my clients were in the States and I am in the UK. Um, Many of them were on the West Coast in the States, so it's an eight-hour time difference. And so I had to work in my evenings in order to do live coaching calls with them. And it's an intensive process. You don't kind of like speak to somebody once and then go, all right, you know, see you later when you've written your book. You know, you, you're really in there with them, supporting them through that process. And that, or at least that's the way I like to do it. Um, and I just couldn't see a way of restructuring that business so that I didn't end up working in the evenings. And I think when when I set that business up, my daughter was a baby and then she was a toddler. And um, I was, a aside from the business, I was at home, stay at home mum. And my husband was busy in the daytime and then he was available in the evening to look after my daughter. So it actually really made sense mm-hmm. that my commitments, my time commitments were in the evenings. But fast forward to now, my daughter is 10. She's at school all day. She comes home at the point at which America wakes up. Um, And all the sort of family time and the making dinner and the helping with homework and the chatting about the day and the bath time and all of those things happen in the window where I'm still awake and my American clients want to talk to me. Um, And that was really unsustainable in and of itself. So I realized I was either going to have to massively change the book coaching business to in some way work around that issue or I could do something which was a little more straightforward which was work with the um, copywriting messaging business that was much less time intensive and which I could see a way of having a copywriting course that I was really excited about that was much where I still do a lot of one-to-one feedback but it's uh, asynchronous. And um, so that made my way that I wanted to live my life. I could totally see how I could do that if I just committed to that business. Whereas if I'm sure there's a way of doing it with the book coaching, but it wasn't clear to me how I could keep the bit that I loved about the book coaching and have my evenings. It seemed to be an either or. 
Yeah, I appreciate you kind of putting that constraint on the decision-making process and to the re-envisioning process as well. I'm curious what other kinds of constraints you were working with to decide this is the model that I'm going to pursue. This is how the business is going to run. So the other thing that I was thinking about was I had already got one smaller copywriting course out there in the market. And um, when I talked to um, web designers, I knew that there was this huge need for them to simplify their process by having an affordable alternative to somebody working with a done-for-you copywriter Mm -hmm. when it came to designing their site. And that because people didn't have that option, it was derailing the web designers in their processes and their, you know, their schedule was getting really messed up by people just not producing the copy. And with the best will in the world, you can't actually finish a website with no words. And so um, I could see this opportunity to create this course that would meet both the needs of the end user and the possibly more urgently felt needs of the web designers um, and that I could have an affiliate-based, relationship-based course that would scale and that would do something really helpful that wouldn't require me to have a huge audience or do big launches, which is the thing that puts me off courses generally, because if I had a group of affiliated web designers who worked with small service-based relatively early on in their business entrepreneurs, then this would be a popular package for those people and that would sell itself in effect. And I I couldn't see, I I didn't have an equivalent idea for either of the other businesses. So um, once I had seen that that could be a way in which somebody who likes building close relationships with a relatively small number of people. And I've always had loads of web designers as clients in that business for some reason without any particular intention to do that. So I already had a you know, small network. Um, it just, once I'd had that idea, I could see how that could be the center of the business. And then I could still do, I love doing deep dive messaging one-to-one work with people. And I didn't want to stop doing that. But that didn't have to carry the whole financial weight of the business because there was this other element that is more leveraged and more scalable that that I could just, I really liked the model of it and I wanted to do that model. Um, so so yes, that, that was the final kind of deciding piece, I think, for going with this business. Okay, this is brilliant because I love that part of simplifying your business was bringing the marketing piece and the sales piece into the visioning process as opposed to something that you tacked on afterwards. Because I think one of the places where people tend to overcomplicate things is they come up with this brilliant idea that they are just like creatively in love with, or they're convinced that people really need. And it might be a brilliant idea, and it might be super creative, and it might be something people really need, but they have not considered the repercussions of that on their marketing. And so they they just go, go out and try to make it work. Um, and add more and more and more to it. And I just freaking love the simplicity that comes from building that into the idea from the get-go. And I really appreciate you sharing how that worked for you. Um, Bridget, how did you start visioning, envisioning, re-envisioning 
um, how you are going to simplify the model for your new business or new iteration of the business. Yeah. So because I knew at this point that I was looking for a model that I could build to sell. And the way I thought about that was to build a sell was just like, whether or not I decide to sell it, it will be a stronger business because it means that we have a lot of IP, the business can run without me, and we have a book of recurring revenue. So I knew that like, it doesn't matter ultimately whether I sell it or not, this is like the kind of business model that is more sustainable for the next decade. So what I did is actually went out and hired a coach or joined a group coaching program with a guy named Alex McClafferty. And he had built a startup um, called WP Curve and he had sold it to Gold GoDaddy. And so he had a whole thing about how to productize a service-based business. And I was like, I really just feel like I need someone to hold my feet to the fire of doing this. And at the same time, I was still working with Nicole Lewis Kieber, who was like helping me with all the mindset stuff. So it was like my dream team of Alex being like, just break your business model. It's fine. Just do it. And then Nicole just like holding space for me and let me like cry it out on the phone with her. So I think a big part of it was just like getting support because I knew that there were going to be a lot of scary changes and I knew that I wasn't going to stick to it alone. And it ended up being this really amazing process. So one of the early exercises that I did was just kind of figuring out what my competitive advantage was. And I realized that it really is just in the podcast space. We'd already been moving in that direction and that I needed to rebrand the company. So that's when Podcast Ally came into existence as a brand. I literally, first time ever, all of my other website iterations, I'd hired a designer. It's my first time ever just installing my own template. That website is still up a year and a half later that I just like did with some like stock photos <laughs> in my own work one night. Cause I was like, I have to go in on this. I have to do it. Um, and then the other thing that I really had to work on was figuring out how to have a scalable model and remove myself from client delivery. And that was the, really the hardest part of the process was unpacking and working with some of the assumptions that I had. So I can give you a really specific example. Yes, please. So Alex, one of his exercises that he had us do, which I still to this day work with is he has us in a document. God, when I tell you this, you will understand why I hated these questions so much. What in your business model breaks when you're serving 20 clients, when you're serving 50, or when you're serving 100? At the time, my max client capacity had been like six. <laughs> so I'm like, everything me? I don't know, Alex. Like, you tell me. What the hell am I supposed to do with this? And I really sat with those and had to think about it. And one of the things that I came up with is that our onboarding process. So when we had a new client come in, a, a big part of our work is also with our messaging, right? What about our clients' messages? Are we going to pitch? What is going to work with the podcast? And I have been doing this onboarding process with clients for, I don't know, six years maybe, where I had a series of questions that I would take them through. I would give them the questions in advance, but we would get on the phone for 90 minutes and I would guide them through it and ask all these follow-up conversations and highlight what I thought the angles were be would be because I've been in this business so long that when you're talking to me about your story and your expertise, as long as I know your market, I can like immediately identify what's going to make your story interesting to the media we're pitching it to. So the podcasters in this case. 
okay, with 20 clients, that totally breaks down. Like, how am I supposed to have 20 90 minute onboarding calls, much less 50 or 100? Like, it was almost impossible for me to even think about my client getting there um, or, or client load getting there. And so I realized that I had to work myself out of the onboarding upfront messaging process in a way that really, really scared me. And I had to question my assumptions. So what what we ended up doing, and there's some more that goes into this, but we launched a trial offer. We got um, originally three people signed on. I think we had like six up front for that first launch of this offer. And the very first thing I tested was, can we actually onboard people through a form? Like, can we have them fill out a document and have not me, but their team lead go through it and come up with pitch angles? And at first I gave us 30 days to do it. Then I realized that we actually needed to speed up the process. So can we do this in 10 days, 10 business days? I'm reviewing it in the beginning, although I've just hired a team lead. So I'm working myself out of that now too. Um, Cause that's one of those things that my, my business totally broke. Um, and it turned out that the case was yes. Like my assumption that only I could do it, that it had to be in a phone call that clients wouldn't feel seen or heard or cared for if we did it another way was totally wrong. <laughs> it was totally backwards. And in fact, it's better for them to be dealing with the team lead from the beginning because they need to have the trust that the lead who is going to be pitching them is the one who's actually developing their message strategy. So not only was I wrong, but I think I was actually holding back and harming the business with that assumption. There's another really scary change that we made at the same time with this initial offer too, which is I really sat down and thought about what makes a client successful, what's good for them, what's good for us. And, and I realized that having a long-term committed client because of the long lead times with podcasts is always better. So sometimes when I'm really vibing with somebody and we're talking in a call and they say, you know, can I just like work with you for three months or can we just try it and see for one month? I'm like, you might as well just throw your money in the toilet. You are going to sign up with us, you know, get the plan. We're going to pitch podcasts. No one's going to respond to you in month one because of their production schedules. Like they're going to hold on to your pitch until they're ready to look at it. You're going to say, no, no, this isn't going to work. You might as well just take that month one retainer and throw it away because you're going to decide it doesn't work for you if that's your evaluation period. And so at the same time, because the other goal was like recurring revenue, having more um, financial stability in the business actually launched this annual plan offer where clients sign up with us for 12 months and it's a fixed fee for 12 months. Um, now we have a four month offer, which takes you towards the first phase of that. But we have, I think, um, I think it's like 18 active clients right now. And there's only two clients who are on that shorter offer. All the rest opt in in the annual plan. I believe no way is somebody going to sign up for a year of PR service with us. There's no way somebody's going to meet with me on a 45 minute phone call, see our services page and give the money. But like, that is what happens every time. Um, and so I think like a lot of the process of simplifying really is about for me, what were the assumptions that I was bringing in about the things that I had to do or that people really wanted from me and throwing those away and doing small tests 
So I did a very small beta launch to test it out. I didn't like go out and do a JV thing and do a bunch of webinars. I just did it with some people that I had relationships with. And um, turns out I was wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I have got to inject my own experience here too, because I both of those things like solid yes. So um, we have been going through the exact same process at Yellow House where it's like, uh, when we were starting off, Sean and I would lead people through a 90-minute uh, kickoff strategy session where we would just get in the weeds around what their podcast premise was going to be, how they were going to write their trailer, all of these things. And then we started to think toward like, all right, we want to put – these are good resources. We we actually had the resources built. They just weren't standalone yet. And we had started to work toward putting them into a membership site and we were onboarding some new clients. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to try and see if I can get someone to do this stuff before we even get on the phone with them. And so um, we're, we've done two people like that now. And that first 90-minute call did not need to be 90 minutes because they already did all the work. And it was wonderful. And I could just be like, all right, this, 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 this is great. Okay, I'm going to revise your trailer and we're going to get to it so much easier, so much simpler. Um, and then today, I actually have a consultation with someone who sent us part of the homework that she would get from us if she were working with us. This is a sales call. So now I've got homework from someone who isn't even working with us yet, something that we could use if we move forward. Amazing. Um, and then the other thing you had mentioned was the like, would someone actually buy all of this. For you, it was uh, length of term. For us, it was, okay, podcast production is currently being sold essentially as either you're a podcast editor and you cut up tape and put it together and, and make it work for a podcast, or you're a virtual experience a virtual assistant that has experience with podcasting. Um, and people were then project managing those two people. But that's really the only way that podcast production services were being sold, um, or at least that I could see were being sold and that I knew people were purchasing. And my hypothesis was, well, what if we just do it all? Like, literally, what if we do everything other than recording the damn podcast will like, okay, but that's going to be a big sale. Like it's going to be hard to get people on board with that. It has not been hard. It has been so easy. It has been overwhelmingly easy <laughs> in that we do not have any room for any clients until September. And maybe those two spots are going to be gone here in the next couple of days too. Um, so anyhow, I just, I had to throw that in there because everything you said, yes, yes, yes. There are so many operational assumptions we have that end up making our businesses more complicated. And I really appreciate you kind of breaking those two specific things down because operational changes was exactly where I wanted to go next. You're going to hear about the operational changes that Bridget and Sophie made as they simplified in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Sheena Collier turned a hashtag into a thriving community with her Mighty Network. 
Sheena had built a life in Boston, but recognized that the city wasn't always welcoming, especially to its Black residents. At first, she took the lead on putting together a book club, a dinner club, and even a finance club. Then she launched the Collier Connection, an event planning consultancy aimed at helping companies create more inclusive events. That led to working with the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce to help them leverage the business community to address issues of access and equity. And then that led to the Boston While Black hashtag. She took the traction she got from tweeting Boston While Black and organized an in-person forum to offer a platform for a wide range of stories and experiences. From there, Sheena decided to launch a community at the beginning of 2020. Originally, the community was going to be organized around in-person gatherings. But of course, the pandemic threw her a curveball. Thanks to Mighty Networks, she was able to quickly pivot into offering the community online. Today, Boston While Black boasts over 290 members paying $30 or more per month or joining through employer-sponsored memberships. The community organizes around monthly themes, hosts community leaders for Boston While Black unfiltered sessions, and even hosts DJs for a monthly virtual party. Now, if Sheena's story sounds awesome to you, then it's time to explore how Mighty Networks could help you turn your idea into an awesome community. To get started, go to MightyNetworks.com. And if you're looking for more stories of awesome to inspire your Mighty Network, go to MightyNetworks.com and click Stories. So Sophie, I'm going to toss this over to you. What are some of the operational shifts that you've made internally in the business uh, as it has become simpler? Well, I think weirdly, now that I only have one business to focus on, I've started bringing in much more external support um, Mm. when you would have thought it would be the other way around. But I think because I am so much more focused and because it is much clearer to me the difference between my zone of genius um, versus all the other stuff that needs to get done. It's been much easier. And also because my revenue flow is so much clearer, I can see mm-hmm. where the money's coming from and I can see where the bottleneck, bottlenecks are much more clearly than when it appears that the bottleneck is that I've just gone off and worked on the other business for a while. So now I can, I can track what's happening much with much more detail and accuracy. Um, and so I think the biggest, well, yeah, so that's one big operational change is bringing in much more support and, and people who are actually in some way team members. I don't have any employees, but I do have people who are regular contributors mm-hmm. to getting the work done. Um, the other thing was thinking a lot more about how to productize the services that I ran. So obviously the biggest example of that is the copywriting course, which is still very much a service in that there's a lot of one-to-one feedback, but it's either, um, you know, by Loom video type feedback on each page of of people's um, draft copy, or it's through running office hour sessions rather than having one-to-one calls with people. Um, And because it's an evergreen course, it's a slightly different structure from running it live, but I still do the things like um, co-working sessions and um, office hours and so on. And so thinking about how to productize what I was doing and, and even productizing, you know, the one-to-one messaging service is now much more productized than it was. And I still do bits of um, done-for-you copywriting, but I actually use 
the materials from the course and send people materials from the course and get them to fill that in for me and, and so on. Um, and that's easier for them and it's easier for me. Um, and I'm, I'm realizing I don't need, and, and this chimes with what both of you are saying, previously doing the copywriting, I was spending ages on Zoom calls with people drawing out the information slowly, very, very slowly in some cases. And now I'm giving them a lot more resources and they're completing stuff through Google Forms and things like that um, and just emailing me information and having shared Google Docs and, and all those things which were set up much more for the course and now also working to my benefit and the client's benefit in the things that are still done for you services um, so I think those are the two biggest issues are bringing in more external support and really thinking about how can I turn this into a streamlined system and really thinking about how I think one of my resistances to doing that was feeling like that would make it less valuable mm -hmm. because hand holding somebody through zoom calls felt very supportive and caring um, and that is my image of myself as a business owner is that I am somebody who will really support somebody else through the process but actually it was taking up a lot of their time as well as taking up a lot yeah. of my time, you know, and um, most people want to get the work done well in the least amount of time from their end that's possible. That's a, that's a benefit to them. The fact it's going to take them less time. I don't know why that wasn't obvious to me, but it is now. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> all I can say. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. Oh man, we could spend like m many more hours talking about the operational shifts because this stuff fascinates me. And I also really love how um, while we started in different places with both of you, how much overlap there is now that we're looking at what you've developed, which means there are some very, very valuable takeaways here. And you've both gotten into oh, just some really good territory that I think people can take and use or, or interpret for themselves in a way that's going to work for them in some really business changing ways, which I'm very excited about. Um, but real quick, before we start wrapping things up, you've both mentioned um, sort of technology um, tangentially uh, or more directly. Uh, as you talked about the operational changes that you've made. And so I'm curious how um, maybe the technology piece of your business has simplified or how technology has um, made it so that the way you run the business is simpler. And I'm curious about the specific tools that you're using right now too. Sophie, do you want to, you mentioned Loom and, and Google Docs. What, what are some of the other things that you're working with? Uh, so Voxer, I'm finding super helpful, um, both with um, the more ongoing, longer term one to one work and also as a really amazing way of giving people a lot more benefit in a short, you know, a one off call that's followed by 24 hours of Voxer support is so much more helpful to people because all those questions that they didn't quite manage to get to the tip of their tongue during the original call they can kind of percolate over in 24 hours and and come up with and get quick answers to um and that that i think has really hugely benefited my clients and it has also helped me with the asynchronous nature of how i wish to be able to support them 
Um, and so that's been something that I didn't use very much up until about a year ago, and I now use all the time. Um, I am hovering on the brink of moving over to Notion, um, but then overwhelming <laughs> myself with how big that will be, um, because I think a lot of the things that I'm kind of gluing together with Google Docs and um, you know, different bits and pieces that I'm using different bits of technology for could probably all live together more smoothly um, in Notion, but I haven't quite tipped over the edge to, to doing that yet. <laughs> Bridget, same question to you. How has the way you use technology changed? I really want to keep this succinct and I don't know if I can because this is a pretty <laughs> substantial thing for my business. <laughs> so we use all of the things that Sophie just mentioned. Um, and I, I just moved my account over to LastPass team. So our team is growing. Mm. When I did this rebrand, you know, I had an intern that I hired a second person. Right now, um, when you have my husband and I, our team is seven. Um, nice. So we've been growing a lot. So we use LastPass teams to make sure everyone has access to our tools. And a big thing that we use technology to do, and Sophie mentioned asynchronous communication, and that's really, really big with us too, is in a PR agency, when people hire somebody to do PR, they think, I'm going to hire that agency or that person because they have relationships. But in my experience, the way this really works in an agency is that each individual team member has a relationship. And when they go, it all goes with them because there's no sharing. And when I knew that I wanted to grow, this is one of the key issues that I wanted to solve for is how do I transfer the knowledge and the relationships that I have with a podcaster or somebody I've known in this space to the rest of my team seamlessly. So we use two main tools for that. We use, um, actually, it's just a Google email account that I call our pitch box. So everyone mm -hmm. on our team pitches from the same email account, which means that Tara, like if somebody went to pitch you at what works, like they could go and look and see every single email that has been sent out by any team member and what kind of response you got. Um, but in addition to that, we use Airtable. So we had a custom database developed for us by uh, Natasha Vorompieva before I started all of this that moved everything I had in Excel spreadsheets into a database where we're logging and we're tracking everything we do. And so you can go to any of the podcasts, like I said, over a thousand our database and literally see who have we pitched them to before? Who have they booked? Who have they declined? What have they said? What kind of intelligence have they given us? So anybody walking into the team can say, Podcast Ally has a relationship with this podcaster. What is that whole story like before they even pitch for them? So I have been really leaning on technology as a way to knit our team together because we're all remote. All of our clients are remote. But I don't want to have it where everybody is coming and pitching every podcast with like amnesia <laughs> as to what happened mm -hmm. before. So that has been like all these tools are really transformative um, for our business, for sure. Awesome. Okay, we need to start wrapping things up. But um, I have one more sort of big question for you. And I have one more little question for both of you. So the big question is, results wise, how are things different? for you today. I would love to hear about money. I'd love to hear about time. I'd love to hear about energy levels. However, you're measuring 
how things are different for you or however it stands out the most for you. Um, how, what are the results that you've experienced from simplifying your business? Sophie, you want to start us off? Sure. So I think um, all of those things, um, I think hugely more energy and enthusiasm. And um, I keep using the word headspace and capacity, but both of those things I feel I have a lot more of much more traction because whenever mm-hmm. anything positive happens in the outward facing element of the business, it all feeds back to the same business. Um, and so that means that things build on other things, whereas if they used to just kind of dissipate um, and I would build a little bit in the other business and then a little bit in the other business and it wouldn't all kind of create a ladder that rose mm-hmm. upwards. Um, so much more traction much more um, in the way of referrals because people are not confused about what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. So whereas the people, my sort of online business friends from the last 10 years would be getting in touch saying, are you still doing the book coaching or whatever it was? Because if you are, I might know somebody who, but I wanted to check in with you before I told them. Um, Now people just know what it is I do. And it's much more straightforward for them to refer people. And as a result, the, there is a steady stream of referrals. Um, so income-wise, my income has increased. I'm only a few months into this process. So I would say at the moment, I think I'm earning about between a third and half as much again as I was when I was splitting my energies between the different businesses. And I'm not working more hours and I've got my evenings mostly back. I am still doing, I have a long-term uh, book coaching client who I helped get a book deal with last year, and now she's writing her book. Um, so I really wanted to honor that commitment and, and you know, finish that work with her. And she's in, inevitably, she's in California. Um, so I am <laughs> still doing some evening work with her, but that's a, you know, an end limited thing. Um, and so other than that, I have got my evenings back. I don't ever need to work beyond six o'clock in the evening. Um, and that's huge. Um, so, yeah, I think most of all, it's that feeling of lightness and that feeling mm-hmm. of alignment and possibility and seeing new possibilities for the business. Because I'm always thinking about the one business, I think I can see more opportunities into the future because I'm not kind of getting distracted by the different businesses. Well, you've just made the case for simplifying, Sophie. Thank you (laughs) for that. Uh, Bridget, what kind of results has simplifying brought to you? Yeah, well, I already told you it's allowed us to build our clients Mm -hmm. and our team. So when I first launched this new offer, we had six clients. Right now we have 18 and we're max capacity at the moment. Um, I just hired some more people. So we're looking to grow all that. But I think the bigger things that it brought to me are like a lot more clarity around our clash cash flow and what levers can be pulled to do what. So mm. when I bring a team member, when they're, I have part-time and full-time. So if I bring them in to manage client accounts, I kind of know, okay, this is how many clients they can handle in the beginning and what they can scale up to. And I know how many clients they need to have for us to be profitable. And so I can really plan out my year. So like this year, I actually entered 2021 with more revenue under contract for the year than I've ever made in a previous year, like just starting out. Um, I'm like about, yes. (laughs) Um, 
now I'm not entirely paying myself as much as I should be because we're in a growth mode, but like, that's a choice that I'm making because I want to grow. And I feel like we've got to get the staffing in there. And I feel like I can make that choice in the short term. Cause like you said, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I know if I add this much staff member, this is how many calls I need to book to fill them. And it's like, it's just like so wide open and clear. There's no, Oh, can I do it? What's it going to take? Um, and I think another thing too, is that the discipline of doing all this is what gives me so much more clarity and confidence. Like as part of this, I built out controls and dashboards within our business so that I can like look and see how people are doing. So like the biggest thing for me is because I built out these dashboards, I know that our quality hasn't gone down. So our booking rates for our clients across all of our acting clients right now are 15%. So like one in six to one in seven podcast pitches we send out leads to an interview for a client. And like that, when I was doing it myself, actually they've been going up. I think it's pandemic related. It was around 10%. So it's actually increased. Um, yeah. Having... And I just, for anyone who doesn't have like a baseline on what that means, really good. oh my God, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Yeah. And part of it is because I have a rule against stretch pitches. So we don't pitch people to things that they couldn't get booked on. So, I mean, that's part of it where I call us a quality over quantity kind of shop, but it's like, I know this, I know that if I hire somebody, what does success look like for them? How do I measure their performance? How do I measure a client's performance? Um, I've done an analysis of our clients, like what kind of clients, what does it take to become one of our most successful clients so I can set expectations. It's like, I just, we have one offer. We know what we do well. We do it very well. And all of my days are just focused on, okay, is there something like, do I build the team now? Is there something else to help the team with their service and capacity? But it's like so clear what, what needs to happen every day. So it's just been like a completely transformative change for me. And, and I feel for the first time, you know, people say like, act like a CEO, don't just like act like a consultant selling your time. I feel like the first time I'm really inhabiting that space. And I know what that means. Mm. Also so powerful, such a great case for simplifying. Um, Bridget, what are you excited about right now? Oh my goodness. Okay. So I told you about this thing about like, what would you do if you believed in your vision with your whole heart? So <laughs> um, I just made a really big hire in my team. So I'm having a new team lead come on. Her name's Amanda. She has produced like podcasts for BuzzFeed. She has produced podcasts that like Oprah has named as one of her favorite podcasts. Because part of my vision is just like, we are the best in this industry. And it's like, what would it take? What would it look like if you were the best and we had the best network and the best people? And so I already know that like, we pay more competitively than a lot of our competitors, like pay a little better than a lot of our competitors. But we're also just like, I put this unicorn job posting out was like, can I get somebody from the podcast production side that's on the receiving end? of like getting all these pitches so she can like take our team to the next level and help me recruit and also replace me as a creative director for our team over time. So that like review of the plans, I'm, that's the last piece that I'm involved in in the client delivery. So she just said yes yesterday. <laughs> so she's starting <laughs> with our team and it's like this big giant leaf forward 
hire somebody like that onto our team. But like, it just feels like I feel like tingly inside talking about it. It's just the next level for us. I'm super excited. I am very excited for you. That's awesome. (laughs) Sophie, what are you excited about right now? I think what I'm excited about is all the potential that I see unfolding because Mm -hmm. the business in its current form is still so new. It's only a few months in this iteration of just doing this one thing. Um, And I think that one of the things that I resisted previously in terms of thinking about productizing and going down a courses route and so on was it was so important to me to have a business that was around building relationships and, you know, doing deep work with people. And A, I've been able to keep that by having the messaging strand in there. But B, I've started to see that the web designers who are the affiliates, those are the people I'm building the long-term working relationships with. And I've created a Mighty Networks community for them. And um, I'm creating a podcast for them. And I'm really kind of leaning into those relationships are maybe more how my book coaching long-term working relationships were it's not the same model but it's the same kind of relationship and being able to see how having those relationships will build the business and build the affiliate side of the course element of the business and really make it something that I can do on my own terms in my daylight hours um, and um, have that freedom that is the reason I got into business in the first place and the reason I didn't want to be an employee um seeing all of that start to come together is just so exciting I'm so excited for you too um Bridget and Sophie, thank you so much for giving us the lowdown on how you've simplified your business, how they ended up overcomplicated in the first place, the emotional pieces, the operational pieces, the amazing results that you're both experiencing. Um, I am so grateful for this conversation, and I know that our listeners will be as well. One of the things that strikes me about this conversation is how the transition from a more complex business to a simpler business allowed both Sophie and Bridget to think more inclusively about the problems they could solve and the value that they could create. And what I mean by that is that so often when you're getting a business off the ground, you're thinking about how you can get your needs or your family's needs met. There are financial needs, of course, but Sophie also talked about wanting to do things she enjoyed, and Bridget talked about learning new things. Those are personal needs, too. I think that as we start to meet our initial needs, we start to glimpse more needs. Maybe they're true needs, maybe they're wants, that doesn't really matter. We learn more about what we need for ourselves and what our businesses can provide. And that's great, truly But providing for you is only one thing your business can do. Building a business can be a tool for providing for the needs of others as well. Sophie realized that she could meet a need that web designers have by sharing her copywriting course with their clients. Bridget is motivated by creating great jobs for others. Now, I know that considering others' needs can feel like a tall order when you don't feel like all of your needs are being met. And I'm not in any way suggesting that you try to fill people up from an empty cup. What I am saying, though, is that viewing your business system with a wider lens can help you build something that's more sustainable for yourself 
and for others. Your business can be a structure that doesn't just take care of your needs, but makes life better for everyone involved. And the only way to do that is to examine the business as a whole, which is almost impossible to do when it's riddled with complexity. A simple business that's designed to work as a simple, self-perpetuating system can benefit everyone involved, including you. Now, next week, I'll share a bit about how we've resisted complexity at Yellow House Media and some of the incremental improvements we've made over the last 18 months to make a simpler business even simpler. Huge thanks to Bridget Lyons and Sophie Dale for agreeing to experiment with this format. You can find out more about Bridget Lyons and Podcast Ally at podcastally.com. Find out more about Sophie Dale at sophiedale.com. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. Our production assistant is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Get more of What Works delivered to your inbox every Thursday. What Works Weekly brings you more ideas for building a stronger business, plus my picks for resources from around the web. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly to sign up free of charge. <laughs>